<laughs> You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to the Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often, it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today, I have one of those pretty interesting people. Her name is Alison. And she is an expert. She is an imposter syndrome and confidence expert, speaker, and coach. Her work has been featured on Australia's leading TV networks and digital platforms. Through coaching, workshops, and speaker roles, Alison employs, em, employs, empowers her audiences across the globe with the knowledge, tools, and evidence-based methods that they need to build unshakable confidence and overcome imposter syndrome. Hello, Alison Shamir. How are you? I am well, Jimmy. I'm so thrilled to be here. So thank you for that fabulous introduction. You are most welcome. You wrote it yourself. <laughs> I did, but you delivered it perfectly as well. Uh, I didn't. I, I, I messed up the middle bit. Uh, that's right. We do this. People probably don't understand. Most most speakers never write their own intros. If I if I go to a, a gig, I hand them my pre written uh, intro. But uh, yours is yours is lovely. Thank you. And today today we are here, and the reason that we're we're talking to Alison is I love it when people specialize. I love it when uh, I'm not just talking to a psychologist who may. Or, or may not have dealt with imposter syndrome over their time, you, my friend, have made it your business. Imposter syndrome is what you specialize in. And it's a really interesting topic because, I mean, I talk to my listeners and viewers and stuff on Instagram, and I ask them questions. And I sometimes I uh, probably annually send out a survey to see where people are at. And quite often, the topic of imposter syndrome pops up. And they ask me about it, and I go, I've got no fucking idea. <laughs> I don't know the answer to your questions. So I was very lucky enough to be linked by a mutual friend to you, and so we can talk today about imposter syndrome. The first question in my uh, – I'm, I'm a very good interviewer, by the way – and so, so, the, so the first question really insightful and uh, delves deep into it, and and it is, um, what's imposter syndrome? Yeah, well, it's actually it's actually a very good question to start with because, um, and I'm not surprised that you hear it come up a lot in your uh, research and and when you're speaking to your audience because it's now a widely spoken about topic. But with that um, comes some good and some bad in terms of the actual meaning has been, I guess, a little bit bastardized for a better word, uh, especially over the recent decades. So what imposter syndrome actually is, is an internalized fear that makes an individual feel like they're going to be exposed as a fraud or fake or intellectual phony, um, despite evidence of their competence. So their work experience, their accomplishments to date, their education, natural intelligence, uh, despite having all of this on the record and despite them doing it, 
they still have an underlying fear of being exposed as a fraud, which is where the name comes from. So it is tied to your self-worth, imposter syndrome, because somewhere in your past, which I know we'll probably cover today, your self-worth has been impacted and that created a limiting belief that is then carried through life, which surfaces later, which I know we'll probably get to today. Um, and it blocks you from your ability to connect with the great things that you do. So again, you have this overwhelming feeling at times of being an imposter. Um, so if you you know have this feeling, if you feel like you're going to be exposed, if you feel like you're not worthy of your accomplishments despite having actually done the work, then you know you're experiencing imposter syndrome. Right. Interestingly, with uh, modern humans. We tend to self-diagnose a lot. Mm. You see the people running around and saying, oh, I've got OCD. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. You're just fucking particular about some things. Do you find people self-diagnose imposter syndrome predominantly, or is this something that you get told you know, once you go and see a psychologist or something? I think certainly in the last, uh, well, I, don't, I don't think I, I know from my work that in the last 10, 10 to 15 years and the rise of, you know, literature and just the, the people speaking about imposter syndrome and all of the information that's out there, there certainly is a shift toward people self-diagnosing, which has its good and bad elements. Because if you are self-diagnosing based on reading, you know, research yourself or listening to experts who understand it, speak about it, well, then that's quite empowering for you because you're out there capturing the right information and you can apply it to yourself. But again, what can happen is there's a lot of opinion-generated literature out there about imposter syndrome that's incorrect. Yeah. So there are a lot of people who are self-diagnosing who actually don't, who actually aren't experiencing imposter syndrome, are just experiencing a moment of self-doubt, which, which we all have in our lives, or are experiencing another type of fear um, or, or something else entirely. And so that's why I'm really passionate in my work that not only do I educate people on what it is, you know, how they can identify it and what they can do about it, but I educate people so that they can make their own assessment of whether they truly are or aren't experiencing it. And that is another powerful piece of what I do. So uh, it's about providing the right expert-led information to allow people to make the right assessment uh, and not just go on opinion. Yeah. So my friend Katie and I were talking and she wants to know if uh, if she has imposter syndrome or she's just shit. <laughs> and you know what? That Those actually, are exact words. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually comes up a lot. And I guess my immediate response to that is, is to look at, to take a moment and to look at the evidence of what you've actually done or accomplished. Yeah. So as I said earlier, those who experience imposter syndrome have a history of performing. So by its nature and the irony of imposter syndrome is it only impacts people who have a proven history of success, talent, ability, accomplishments, and things like that. So it affects people who are in what we call a growth mindset state, people who are doing or looking to push thresholds. So um, it doesn't actually impact, you know, the real fakes and frauds out there, which is the true irony of it. So but back to your question about your friend is I would encourage her to look at the evidence of what she has done or her education, her natural ability. This isn't always about having a million certifications or being, you know, the absolute best at what you do, whatever your comparison metric is. But there would be a trail of evidence around her that suggests that she deserves to be there based on her work history or ability 
or she has the ability now and the desire moving forward to do whatever it is that she wants to do. And so we need to, with imposter syndrome, get out of our heads and our thoughts and get into the reality of connecting back with the evidence of what's going on. And that will help her answer that question of like, you know, am I feeling like an imposter because I've done great stuff and I'm just a little bit scared because this fear has taken over? Or am I actually not quite there? I won't use the term shit, but am I just not quite there yet? And if so, what can I do about it? So again, thinking about a positive reframe, if you truly believe you're not quite there yet, what can you do about it to get yourself there as opposed to believing you're not good enough, full stop? Yeah, because I mean, obviously, if you are a fraud, you're not, you're not feeling imposter syndrome. You're just going along knowing you're a fraud. Whereas that's right. Whereas the people, who are in that growth mindset, maybe they've just been promoted or you know, yes. given a job outside of their comfort zone and they feel more inadequate, even though they were promoted there for all the right reasons. And so they're more susceptible to being to actually having imposter syndrome than people who are just straight fraud. That's that's entirely correct. I mean, so imposter syndrome, even with the recent global research, so I'm talking about research pieces that have come out in the last, you know, five years, the statistics still state that around 70% of individuals, so men and women, this is not just aligned to women, although the first studies in the 1970s were around high-performing women. Yeah. We have advanced significantly since then where men are speaking more about it, it's becoming more on the record, et cetera. So it's 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 just a it's just a, a big thing that has come through now and the understanding that it only affects high performers, you know. And the irony, as I said, is that yes, the real fakes to your point, right? Those who are doing a bunch of BS or those who are really fakes and lying and manipulating their way through, <clears throat> pardon me, whatever they're doing, don't experience imposter syndrome. So we've got this 70% of the population. And the other 30% who don't experience imposter syndrome, in that 30% are perhaps the, the narcissists or the people who are BSing yeah. their way through what they're doing. But it's also the people who live great lives or happy lives, but who never leave their comfort zone. Yeah, And that's those people who remain in what we call a fixed mindset. There is nothing wrong with that because you can have a fulfilling life and career, but you don't have to step out of your comfort zone. So the likelihood of you experiencing imposter syndrome is is, yeah. is very low, almost non-existent. Yeah, because you're completely comfortable with who you are and where you're at right now. So and you know what you can do. That's, so, that's, that's right. So what are some of the signs that, you know, you are suffering from imposter syndrome? Yeah. The, firstly, the biggest sign that remains today is this feeling of being an intellectual phony, fake or fraud. Yeah. So that is the hallmark of imposter syndrome. If you don't feel that in you, that you're going to be exposed as not knowing enough, mm. that other people believe you're smarter than you think you are and those sorts of things, then it's not imposter syndrome. And I it can be say quite that. a visceral expose, can't it? You can you can sort of like imagine that uh you know someone's gonna come and dump something on your desk or make a big blog post about how uh you're not what you're what you say you are and things like that. It can be quite a quite a visceral fear that yeah. that comes up in these people. That's right, and there, there's some good examples that you've shared. Um, and that's that's the telltale sign to look out for. But aside from that, some of the other things are um, an inability to internalise your own success. So constantly just not acknowledging it, 
not not saying, you know, not acknowledging anything about the great work that you've done or the accomplishments that you've had. In fact, you work against it by just pushing it down, becoming what I call too humble or self-deprecating, which can be a big sign of those experiencing imposter syndrome. In fact, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, has come out recently in in saying that her deep feelings of unworthiness comes down to her inability to internalize her success and never feel worthy of it because she was conditioned to be humble. Yeah. And therefore that has ultimately now worked against her. So there's some great tips, but inability to internalize your own success and really just accept it. Yeah. Um, deflecting praise or basically any wonderful kudos that comes your way. So deflecting it immediately, like, no, it's not me. No, I just faked it. Oh, it was about the team, not me. Just an inability to sit in yourself and go, hey, like, yes, I did a great job. Yeah. Um, that, that overarching feeling of being exposed as not knowing enough for a fraud. And the other big thing that's come up, I think, especially with the rise of just technology and high-performing careers and an environment where we're always on is this sort of chronic fear of failure. So nobody likes to fail. Like, of course, we all want to succeed, but failure is part of any process. But when you experience imposter syndrome, even failing a minute, what is a minute failure to you feels like a catastrophe. Yeah, because there's something else that may, may lead to your exposure. Exactly. So you feel you already have this fragile element of you because you feel like you're fooling everyone. Yeah. You feel like they haven't worked it out yet, but you are literally one step away, one meeting away, one podcast away from everyone going, oh my God, this woman or man doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. So even the most simple of say constructive criticism from your boss saying, Jimmy, you did really well on that, but here's something to think about next time, which is great constructive. He's on to me. Yeah, can make exactly it can make someone experiencing imposter syndrome completely have a meltdown on the inside and up comes the anxiety and the other stress responses and the cortisol and everything goes on in the body where we just trigger this fear or high stress response. So right. there are a couple of key ones to look out for. Yeah, and a couple of things in there I want to bring up. I mean, you live in the uh we'll call them the more braggadocious brother to New Zealand, uh, <laughs> Australia. And uh, as you'll know, over here, we have a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. Yes. And us too, by the way, us too. You do. Yeah. But I think, I think I just have a feeling that you guys have it a little less. You celebrate your successes a bit better than we do, I think. As a culture of Australia and New Zealand and tall poppy, we cut down the people that um, poke their heads above the parapet. We mm-hmm. we don't celebrate their success like somewhere uh, like America, which which is all mm-hmm. about celebrating the success. And so we are brought up in a culture that very much I wouldn't even say rewards um, like you just get by um, by not having your head cut off if you play along to the humble um, downplayed response to your successes and because if you do say nah fuck i did a real good job there people are like whoa 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 Mm -hmm. Ah, hold on son (laughs) we didn't say that much (laughs) or we did say that much but you're just not allowed to say it back and so we're we're conditioned i would say new zealand and australia are conditioned even more than the rest of the world do we have higher rates of imposter syndrome because of that? So the conditioning plays a huge part, and and I'm 
firmly agree with you in terms of the tall poppy syndrome and keeping people down um, play plays a part. In terms of global research, they haven't segmented sort of Australia and New Zealand versus the rest of the world. Yeah, so there's no currently sort of data to support that. However, environments um, and cultures or socioeconomic uh, components that come in do play a huge part. And, and we know that globally, and I know that in the work that I do and the people I speak to all around the world. So that conditioning can, yes, start basically set off, you know, a little fire in someone who already has this embedded self-limiting belief, which goes on to become imposter syndrome. So then if they're in that culture, so let's talk about someone uh, you know, in New Zealand, uh, of course, or Australia, which is where you and I are both based. We've got this already self-limiting belief, which tends to come from childhood. And I know we can explore sort of where it starts a, a little bit later. No, I think, the- I think now, now's, a good, now's a good time. I mean, like, because this is, this is the thing is that it doesn't, it's not something you catch. It doesn't just no. mag- it doesn't just magically turn up one day at your job. This is something that is developed over the course of your life, and so I mean that is a that is a big question there. Like you know, where does this come from? Does it come from all the way back at our childhood, or the or early career, or where? Yes. So the evidence um, is a great place to go. Actually, so what I call this is your imposter syndrome origin story. Right. which is essentially the beginning of the seed of unworthiness planted in you, whether you are male or female or however you choose to identify. And the global research suggests, and all of the experts in, in terms of our analysis, that this is planted predominantly in childhood. Right. So the majority of the data sits there. And how it's planted in childhood, there are many ways. So it could be the uh, family situation that you grew up in, so parents who um, had very high demands on you and you felt that you couldn't live up to their expectations going through some form of trauma or neglect is another big thing. Um, Labels that are put on you as a child, so you are the smart one or the sporty one or you are the this in your family. During these critical stages of your brain developing and what we call your authentic self, this can have an influence on then, you know, the messaging um, that you're getting as a child and then in turn how you grow up and grow into your authentic self or if you are blocked from being your authentic self. So you're forced to turn into a different person based on what your child, uh, your parents or someone around you wanted you to become. Um, Outside of that, it can be something that somebody has said to you. So they were critical of you. You know, I have clients who somebody said something to them when they were seven, eight, 10 years old, and that planted a seed that when they went on to be successful doctors or successful management consultants, et cetera, they still held on to that limiting belief that they were not good enough because of somebody close to them, right? Um, so it can come from there. But socioeconomic or outside influences are also big and they're part of the journey, right? So when we look at imposter syndrome, to go back to your question, it isn't just about one angle. It's about how we grew up and what happened to plant that seed of unworthiness, then what social or outside conditioning came into that as we grew up and become adults, and then, of course, it comes out as imposter syndrome as we enter college or enter the workforce or enter whatever it is we're doing, we are triggered. Yeah. So you have an origin story. So everyone listening to this, if you believe you're experiencing imposter syndrome, I want you to take yourself back to the very first moment where you believe you felt that you weren't good enough. And that will be probably a moment in your childhood. And I want you to think about when it was, who was there, what they said, 
and how it made you feel at that time. And that's going to be a huge data source for you to understand your own imposter syndrome. Very interesting. And I think just one of the quick little takeaways for me here is that basically anybody who is suffering from imposter syndrome isn't actually an imposter. Absolutely not. Because because just to go back from where we were before is that if you are an imposter, you know you're an imposter and 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 you act differently and you don't you don't have the syndrome because you're just being an imposter. You know, that is that is a really interesting thing for people to understand listening is like, cool, okay, I might have imposter syndrome, but I'm not actually an imposter. I just think I am. And Correct. I think I am because of my limiting beliefs that happened more than likely in childhood. That's exactly right. Great. So the question then becomes, well, all right. So I've identified that, you know, when I was 12, my dad said this to me, and I've never been able to live up to that. And now that's exposing me when I'm 30 in my job mm -hmm. or 50 in my job. Is there a way out of this? Like, can, can I actually relieve myself of these feelings? Or is it something I just have to manage the rest of my life? It's it's both. Right. So, and I've seen this in, in my work. So some individuals go on to be able to manage their imposter syndrome, so learn to manage it because they are in environments which trigger it a lot. Right. So they are growing businesses or they are a doctor or medical professional or in yep. a high-performing environment yep. where they trigger the person or the environmental stimuli that brings out the imposter feeling is constantly around them. Yeah. So for, for those people, they learn to manage it. And by manage it, I mean that when they feel it coming on or when they identify the situational person that triggers it, they are able to create boundaries to protect themselves and they are able to assess their own behaviours and intercept their own negative thought patterns and come up with a way to manage it based on their individual environment. Yeah. Then on the flip side, there are individuals who do conquer it, is, is a word I like to use, entirely. And what that means is, is even whether they're triggered often or just sporadically, again, depending on what career they've gone to do or what yeah. life they're, that they're living, et cetera, and their environment that they're in, they just learn that when that, they, they learn to rewrite their story and become so confident in themselves and re, reconnect back with their own self-worth that when that imposter thought, that automatic negative thought that, you know, starts to happen subconsciously comes back, they simply silence it. Yeah. So they even begin to talk to themselves, and I'm one of these people where it'll creep back in and I'll say, no, 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 like I know where that's coming. I'm going to basically shush that thought immediately. It's just fear creeping back up. Yeah. So so you can do both, and um, and depending on the individual, how ingrained it is in you, how much it's affected you in your life, how frequently you have been triggered, and how deeply ingrained your behavioural habits are, determines really which one of those paths you can go down. But it is not a lifelong debilitating sentence is something yeah. that, that I wanted to share. No, and that, that's great. And it, and it brings up a really good point because, 
you know, some people choose lives and careers that are in a constant state of flux and growth and will, you know, forever be putting them in situations that are outside of their comfort zone and have them thinking, oh shit, I'm out here all alone. And am I just making shit up? And are people going yeah. to expose me for that? And you know, that's their own choice. That's where that's where they've done. And so you're right. I mean, that's gonna, there's no, there's no conquering of that because you're forever gonna be um putting yourself in. But there is a there is a different definite managing of that. I really, I really like and understand that. And then the same as, you know, you can um you can conquer it. Um in a in a by rewriting your past in that in that regard. Yes, and I think you when you said that earlier around you know using that example of if you know your dad says something to you earlier and then you advance into your adulthood and you take that story with you, we can you know in a common sort of language around this is we can rewrite that story and the way that we do that is we take responsibility for the change. Yeah. So something I, I desperately wanted to share in this chat with you today is, is that imposter syndrome, whether you're male or female, whoever you choose to identify, is not your fault. Yeah. The seed, the seed that evoked it in you was not your fault. You did not ask for it. You did not deserve it, et cetera. It is not your fault. However, it is our responsibility to accept that we are feeling this way. And we're feeling this way because we are high performers and we've done great stuff. We are not frauds. That is the irony of imposter syndrome. We are not imposters. You need to tell yourself that. And now we have the responsibility to rewrite our story, to say that that person back then was wrong. I did not deserve that. You know, I should have been shielded from that and I couldn't stop it then because it's not my fault, but I can make significant change now. I can take ownership over my life, my responsibility. Uh, And it's my responsibility to do so. And I think Reason why people can often shy away from responsibility is because what does it do? It puts the spotlight entirely on us. Yeah. It makes us have to stand up and own our decisions, own our choices, and people can be frightened by that. But I like to flip the lens and share with you how empowering that is. And, I mean, I'm sure you've done this throughout your life, Jimmy, in your work and the people you interview. It is powerful to accept responsibility. Yeah. It is a tremendous shift, um, and that's something I want to share as well. Yeah, I mean, you just basically did one of my bits in a uh, in a female Australian accent. Um, it's, uh, I I have I have a whole piece in my book and in my talks about radical ownership, and yes. which is another word for responsibility. And how, yeah, absolutely, our traumas are not our fault, but our healing is our responsibility. Yes. And then uh, to move on to another one of my bits, which fits in just perfectly with the last one. With the with the person that's always outside of their comfort zone is always going to be managing their uh, imposter syndrome. One of my uh, basically my my framework for rewriting stuff is what I call the three C's. They are constant conscious choices, and so in regards to the person that's forever managing and and putting themselves in situations where imposter syndrome comes up it's the conscious part of that that is that is so important to be able to to see and understand what you're doing mm-hmm. and and that you are putting yourself in these places and you know that when you do that these things are going to come up and then you can make 
the constant choices around that to be able to go back and reframe the situation you're in right now to be able to help you move forward from where you're at at that stage. 100%. And I love that framework and highlighting the consciousness because when it comes to imposter syndrome, it thrives and lives and grows and continues in the subconscious. Yeah. So when we can bring consciousness to it and when we can own, develop our self-awareness and, and really then start to look at and challenge our thoughts. So when you experience imposter syndrome, you start to have what we call an automatic negative story playing in your head. These are these self-limiting beliefs. People refer to it as the inner critic or the obnoxious voice in your head. And if you have imposter syndrome, that voice is relentless and it is relentlessly negative. And what happens is it stays on an automated loop operating in the subconscious, wiring into the brain, which is already wired to a negativity bias. And so in my work specializing in this area, I have studied and continue to study in the areas of neuroscience and applied brain health because if we can learn to rewire our brain, which of course then goes on to uh, the cognitive pieces around how we think, how we feel, how we understand our emotions and channel our thoughts, it's super important because to your point, we need to move from the subconscious automated imposter thoughts to the conscious awareness of not only those thoughts and challenging them, but the conscious awareness of what we've done, of the hard work, of the blood, sweat and tears, of the education, whatever it is, whoever's listening to this has done to get to where they are today. That hasn't been by fluke. It hasn't been by chance, even though your imposter syndrome might be telling you that. So let's get conscious. Let's step into reality. Let's connect with evidence. So yeah. I really wanted to highlight those points because I think that is brilliant and that framework certainly lends itself to those experiencing imposter syndrome. Yeah, and so if somebody is experiencing it and they're in this rumination downward spiral yes. of of the recurring inner critic, mm-hmm. um, you know, subconsciously, but now it is becoming conscious because you're you're feeling it and you you know you're thinking this stuff. People think that when they're in that state, oh, I'm conscious of this. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me, don't tell <laughs> yeah. me I'm not conscious. I'm very conscious that this yeah. is that this is a thing. But we're not really talking about consciousness and being aware of you having the problem. We're talking about consciousness and being able to make choices opposite to to the problem. And so, if somebody finds themselves in that rumination spiral of the inner critic. What sort of conscious choices can they be making in order to improve and start rewiring their negative bias in the different direction? Well, a conscious choice that they can make is about reconnecting with the evidence and finding ways to connect with the reality of the situation. So you need to know that imposter syndrome, you're talking about those rumination cycles, which is, yes, very prevalent, but it creates a false sense of reality. And that false sense of reality in my world, we call a persona. We call an imposter persona. So to your, back to your question, we need to make conscious choices around connecting back with our authentic self. Mm. Who is Alison Shamir, right? Who is Jimmy Hunt or whoever's listening to this? What am I about? What have I accomplished? Where am I at right now? What are my values and who do I want to be? And what action, to your point, what choice on action can I take today that moves me in a positive evidence-led reality step forward 
as opposed to staying in this rumination cycle. So we must reconnect with authentic self and get out of the imposter persona that these automatic negative thoughts have put us in. And that is the first step that I'll share to answer your question is we lose. When I was in my cycles of imposter syndrome, I became a perfectionist, which is one core persona. I completely lost myself because I was driven by fear. It then went on to impact my behaviours and the persona that I was presenting to the world. So I had to find me. I had to look at the evidence. It's the same for everyone listening to this. Find your authentic self. Connect with the evidence of what you have done. And don't just do this alone is the other piece, Jimmy, to answer your question, is we can't combat imposter syndrome on our own. Yeah. The thoughts are too strong. And how we seek help, firstly, is, of course, there's professionals out there like me, but before we even get to that, speak to your friend, your yeah. partner, somebody that you work with. Pick someone. The key thing here is pick someone you trust. Yeah. Pick someone that you know has your interest, your best interest at hand, who also won't just, um, for, I'll use an Australian colloquial term, won't just piss in your pocket, yeah. but will give yeah. you, you know, un- will give you clear advice or understanding. Yeah. So speak to someone. What Tasha Urich and- calls a loving critic is basically yes. what you're describing. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so we need to do that. We need to connect back with our authentic selves, which we do that through looking at the evidence and the reality. So the takeaway there is imposter syndrome creates a false reality for you. You think that you're operating and living in the real world, but it is it is a fake concept around you because you are fearful of being yeah. exposed. So get the reality hit that you need. Yeah, my wife's very good at that for me. Um, very good at, at pointing that out. And I don't, I'm not sure if I suffer from imposter syndrome. I'm probably more just in a lack of confidence sort of, uh, you know, spot occasionally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the one of the things that I do, one of the things that I I feel slightly inadequate in is my lack of formal education around the subject. Yes. And so I'm not like you. I didn't do what did you, six years at university uh, to get that. I, I haven't done research studies. I, ha- I haven't done all of these things. Um, I'm just a guy who's working on himself and sharing that stuff with others. And I read other people's um, research and, and you know, I, I – I exclaim the things that they've come up with. I'm happy to do that. But sometimes I feel like I'm not qualified to be able to help people in the way that I do. And so one of the things that my wife made me do back in the day, and I still do it today, is that every time I get an email and this might be a, a surprise to the listeners there, but I have, I have them all. If you've sent me an email or a message saying uh, everything from you saved my life to you changed my life to you allowed me to do this, that, the other thing, I take a screenshot of it. And I put that screenshot in a folder. And so I have a folder that is full of people saying how good I am at my job. and. Every time I'm like, who am I to be saying these things or doing these things? I can look at that folder and pick any one of those things in there and go, that's who I am. That is my authentic self. A man working on himself, just like I talk about in the intro, a man working on himself, trying to be mentally fitter, who then shares what he learns with other people. And so every time I have the self-doubt in that space, the reality 
is that folder. That is the reality. I also have a folder of um, uh, screenshots of people saying how shit I am at my job. <laughs> Do you know how many are in that folder? None. No one sent me that. Powerful, and that's as visceral to be able to see yeah. as the other one. Yeah. Because that's what you're afraid of. You're afraid of being exposed, <laughs> and yet you've never actually been exposed. No one's actually ever said a bad thing to you. Yeah, and even but even if that, firstly, that's it's very very powerful. And I think on on my front, it's similar. I just wanted to connect back with what you said earlier. Is that I used to have those fears as well because when I left school, I I actually skipped university and, and went to a, a business college and other things. And I've continued to study and, and research imposter syndrome for eight years, and and have done you know a bunch of other adult certifications as we does and learn and learning and learning on the job as well. Um, but I used to have those fears back in the in the day as well. And I think with what you said, so powerful about capturing an evidence or a wins folder or those things that make you feel good and reinforce the wonderful work that you've done. And also on the flip side, if you do get some, you know, negative feedback or whatever, it's going to be small or minuscule anyway when yeah. you're producing great work. And I think it's always great to have both to your point because then we train ourselves to become stronger. We train ourselves to look at the evidence. We train ourselves to, if we're experiencing imposter syndrome, to silence those imposter thoughts by connecting with the evidence, by reaffirming ourselves and, and getting all of the positive benefits through our brains and bodies from that. Um, because what can happen is when we have imposter syndrome is that if we even get one piece of negative feedback but 99 pieces of positive feedback, We'll focus on the one percenter. Yeah. So, so how you so know common. you're also yeah very common, and so how you know you're also experiencing growth through this phase of hey, how do I know if I'm actually getting better with my imposter syndrome? It's to start to celebrate those those awareness pieces of hey, I am creating a wins list or connecting with the evidence, and hey, the other day I got some constructive feedback, and it didn't derail me. It didn't make me catastrophize and feel like I was going to be fully exposed. So that's how you know also if you want to do some checks on yourself that you are building up, you know, a great resistance toward it, that you are making progress because something I wanted to share is don't skip over the joy and the learnings from the journey. So with imposter syndrome, the changes, you will not overcome imposter syndrome overnight. For some, it takes weeks, months, or even a year. It's a very individual journey. But every single day you make an incre incremental change toward it is a wonderful and joyful learning. And so don't discount, my advice for listeners is don't discount the process hmm. because, as you know, through your learnings, Jimmy, in your life, and I know through mine, the growth, the joy, the learnings, the insight in the journey, not just the beginning and the end of, of what you're trying to achieve, are a fundamental part of either learning to manage it or um, overcoming it entirely, as I said earlier. And that's one of the things that my listeners are <laughs> very intimate with, is the idea that you know, there's nothing that they're going to listen to on this podcast that's going to... Uh, have them go, oh, yeah, yeah, don't have imposter syndrome after, after 50 minutes of an interview. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. And there's nothing, there's nothing that works like that. And if you do get an insight on a podcast like this, and you're like, holy shit, that's brilliant. That's really illuminated something that I can now go do, then you're still going to go do it. Yes. And that doing, um, because we, when, when you go back to the neuroscience, 
In order to rewire those neural pathways, they are those constant conscious choices. And 100%. just because you make the constant conscious choice once does not mean you have rewired that pathway. You need to be making consistent ones constantly over time in order to rewire that. And so in order to fix, to conquer, to alleviate your imposter syndrome, it is a process. There's no pill for it. There's no one session for it. It's a process done over time. Is that, yeah. is that what we're talking about here? Yes, it is a process done over time. And the length of time comes down to your point around the consistency of action. Two yeah. things, the consistency of action, but also how long it has been triggered or how frequently it has been triggered in you. However, the answer on both fronts is always consistency in action, and that's why I love your framework so, so much because to your, in order to rewire those neural pathways, as you mentioned, we have to be doing it consistency, consistently um, and we have to be moving to action. And when we're doing that as well, we're also building confidence. Mm. So the other piece of this, and you touched on that, is confidence, which is a phenomenal skill and like a muscle it can be built by anyone. The higher our confidence, the better we're equipped we are to deal with imposter syndrome as well. So it doesn't mean that confident people do not experience imposter syndrome. They do. But yeah. confident people by nature have a stronger self-awareness, have a more consistency in their action because the more action you take, the more confident you become, the more experiences you face, the more experience you give your brain to predict how you should think, feel and behave or control your emotions in the next phase. And they're more so, likely to be cool. the people that are pushing themselves out of the comfort zone as well? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So so definitely because um, when it comes to imposter syndrome, yes. So obviously you can sit in your comfort zone and still be very confident yes. in what you're doing. You know, so for example, you might be, you know, a third generation dairy farmer who's got a really pros you know, prosperous business yeah. and, and has all of these things, but you know your stuff inside out and you're super confident in your farms and your product, Yeah. right? So, um, but, you know, so when we're talking about imposter syndrome, it's this out of comfort zone pushing thresholds um, and the inability to connect with the success and the wonderful things that you're doing, which causes that imposter syndrome in the first place. But confidence is key. So linking back to what makes you feel most confident in yourself yeah. Um, as well. And the action you need to do is a strong takeaway for the audience as well. If you're someone who experiences imposter syndrome and you have low confidence at the moment, then you really need to put the spotlight on how you build your confidence, not just how you take on imposter syndrome. It's It has to be a strategic approach, not a pigeonholed approach, because it is a much bigger beast than that one that can be managed and conquered, but it requires a strategic approach. There's two pieces there that uh, I think are uh, sort of a key to understanding imposter syndrome and the way out, and both obviously that you've mentioned today, which are confidence and, and self-worth, which yes. you mentioned earlier on. And I think those are two big pieces to, to the puzzle, um, but we've already talked plenty today, and so I'd love to get you back another time and we can talk self-worth and confidence in regards to moving us out of imposter syndrome. Is that something we can do? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. And I think it's um, the self-worth piece is, is super important. Well, both pieces are super important, but just on the aspect of if you want to conquer imposter syndrome, if you're someone who actually wants to 
silence it, yep. then developing sort of an unshakable self-worth, which is, you know, how you feel innately about yourself is really your um, roadmap to yeah. conquering it. So yeah. it's that validating from within, it's building that unshakable baseline. So I would love to come back and and talk all the details around those components because I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so much and obviously the frameworks that you use are hugely valuable and also relevant to individuals experiencing imposter syndrome. Yeah, cool. All right, Alison, where can people find out about you if they want to come and have a chat to you about imposter syndrome? Yep, they can find me on alisonshamir.com. So you'll you'll find all of my information um, and the work that I do via my website. And I'm active across Instagram um, and LinkedIn as the two core platforms. And you'll find me at Alison Shamir. So all platforms cool. are just on my name. So please come say hi. Yeah, and we'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you again very much, Alison. I look forward to having our next chat. I think it'll be a good one. Me too, Jimmy. I've loved it. Thank you so much. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time.